Delighted to be here tonight. Thank you for having me. Some of my favorite memories growing up center around Lebanon, Tennessee. My grandparents, Gail and Marge Hearn, lived on Coles Ferry Pike. I grew up spending summers at their house, fishing in the creek behind their house, learning how to ski at Lake LaGuardo, getting my first fishing license at Poindexter's Bait Shop. This is this is uh, home. This puts a smile on my face when I get off at exits 232 to 239. As F.H. said, my parents are Aubrey and Lisa Johnson. They live here in Lebanon. My dad preaches for the old Hickory Church of Christ. And uh, my grandmother lives over at uh, Castle Heights uh, in the Hearthside uh, duplexes over there. So I'm looking forward to going and seeing her tonight. So uh, even though I live in Cookville, I don't get over this way, but it's just wonderful to be here. And let me say this crowd tonight is wonderful. It's encouraging to see people who will take time in the midweek out of their busy schedules to be here, to put aside the thoughts of this world and to refocus on the Word of God. The theme for this series has been the call for clarity in a chaotic world. And we certainly live in a chaotic world, don't we? You turn on the news and it's hard to watch. It's not encouraging, it's discouraging. You can't watch it with your kids anymore. It scares them. You have to turn the sound down. Sometimes you have to turn the channel. And the topics that your elders and your ministers have selected for this series are very important. And we have a most difficult topic tonight. The Christian and same-sex attraction. Why are we talking about this tonight? You may have grown up in a church where topics like this were never discussed. That was something to be discussed at home. That was something to be discussed in private. It was not something to be addressed in public. It was not something that you heard from the pulpit. But brothers and sisters, it's in the Bible. And it's in our world. And if we are going to be in the world, but not of the world, we need to know how to address this most important, timely subject. Our kids are dealing with it. Your kids, your grandkids, when they go to school, they see it every day. I mean, school is so different from when we grew up. They go to school now, and I can't tell you the level of crazy they face in the public schools. My kids come home, and they talk about the emos and the furries. Do you know what emos and furries are? I mean, there are kids who are identifying as cats, and they only meow and purr. They don't use words. They want to use litter boxes rather than the restroom. 
And speaking of restrooms, kids today are afraid to use them. You know why? Because half the kids in there are vaping and the other kids are making out. When your kids try to go to the restroom, there's boys kissing boys, there's girls kissing boys, uh, uh, girls kissing girls. They're holding hands in front of their lockers. They can't even get their books out. This is real. And if you don't know it's in the schools and in our world, well, you need to know. But it's not just in our schools. It's at our workplace. There are people you work with who identify uh, as having feelings of same-sex attraction. There are people in your family who struggle with these feelings. Some of you here tonight have family members, kids, grandkids, brothers, sisters, nieces or nephews who either are practicing homosexuals or they have these thoughts and desires. And they're also in our pews. Let me read you an email I got a few years ago. It was sent to me when I was preaching in Cookville. One of our students who was there, he was visiting with us. And he said, you don't know how many times I've prayed over and over and over again like a broken record for forgiveness for this sin. He said, I thought I was saved four years ago. I'm not sure now. But I fall back into this abominable sin, his words. I thought I was backsliding. Then I just figured out I never truly repented. He said, my family is Christian, quote unquote. Grew up in the church for some time, then was out in the world and came back when I thought I was saved, if I ever was. And I became active in the church, joining ministry, cleaning the church, He said, my immediate family is part of the ministry of the church. I'm related to nearly the entire core leadership. But I started hanging out with the wrong crowd. And I felt like I brought an unclean spirit. He said, I began to wonder if I was truly saved or deceived myself. And he said, I heard your invitation last night. I felt conviction but I didn't respond it was pride or maybe it was apathy he said I've fallen into sin my heart feels hard if you only knew how many times I prayed I know the Lord is dealing with me I know I'm alive only by his mercy but I need help and I need to be saved. How do you respond? What do we say? What do we do? 
There are some churches who would say, get out of here and never come back. How dare you bring that sin into our doors? They're concerned for the purity of the church. They want to keep the good in and the bad out. But they forget that that person is created in the image of God. And that person's struggling and they need help. There are other people who would say, we want you to be here, which is a different tone, but you've got to fix your life first. That was the Pharisees in Jesus' day. They were the separatists. People looked up to them in Bible times. They were purer than everybody else. They said, go deal with your sin and then you can be a part of us. But if you have to be perfect before you come in the doors, you're never quite going to make it, are you? There are other churches who throw open the doors. I'm okay, you're okay, everybody's got sin. We're not going to point out anybody's sin. We're all just going to love God. You don't have to do anything. You just stay the way you are. But that too is a misuse of Scripture. And so we want to find, I hope we can find tonight, a Christian response. How many of you have ever listened to the Gospel Broadcasting Network, GBN? Have you heard of that? Have you seen that? Brother Don Blackwell did an episode several years ago on this subject. And he said, it was by far the most watched episode of GBN Live that we have ever produced. Viewership was five times what it is on a normal week and more than twice our previous viewing record. Did you hear that? 500% more viewers that day and doubled the previous record. If the record was 100,000, it was more than 200,000. Clearly there's an interest. Clearly people have questions. Clearly people are struggling to understand what is our stance, what should I do, what should I say, what should I not say. Of course, most importantly, what does the Bible say? Because we know what America says, right? 63% of Americans, and by the way, this was 10 years ago, say gay marriage is a private decision and the government should not regulate same-sex marriage. But guess what the statistics were people ages 18 to 29? Between 80 and 90%. Eight or nine out of ten millennials and Gen Zers feel that way. Maybe you saw the MSN news report several years ago about the, the new Queen James Bible. Not the King James. How many of you have the King James tonight? You got the King James? 
How many of you got the New King James? All right. This is the Queen James. Did you know about this? Have you heard about this? You can tell because it's got a rainbow cross on the cover and it's advertised as gay-friendly scripture. And it rewrites and reinterprets scripture with same-sex friendly interpretations. We wanted to make a book filled with the Word of God that nobody could use to incorrectly condemn God's LGBT children, the editors explain. It's out there. You turn on your television. When I was growing up, Rosie O'Donnell, Ellen DeGeneres could parade around on TV championing their pro-homosexual cause our society wants to take our children and indoctrinate them with this concept that homosexuality is just a different form of love. And our children are repeatedly told that to not accept it is intolerant. It's not compassionate. The sin is to be homophobic. The sin is to be intolerant. They're talking about you and me. The sin is not homosexuality itself. And then we all remember when the highest office in the land, the President of the United States, said in an interview for the first time, no president had ever said it before, that he supported same-sex marriage. Shockwaves rolled across the country as gays and lesbians and their supporters cheered the comments At the time, there were laws on the book, 30 states had laws on the book that prohibited same-sex marriage. In fact, just a few presidents before, you remember the Defense of Marriage Act that was passed in 1996, describing marriage between a man and a woman? It was gone by 2012. should Christians say? How should we respond? I want to walk you through how some Christians have responded over the last four decades. And then I want us to open our Bibles and we're going to have a Bible study. Okay? Because that's why we're here. To know what the Word of God says. But before we do that, I want you to know that the church has been addressing this subject for the last 50 years. Two men that I highly respect contributed a book called Counseling Homosexuals. Their names are Jack Lewis and Dal Flat. Have you heard them preach? Do you know those names? Jack Lewis, one of the smartest men to ever be in the church. His other PhD was from Harvard, if it tells you his level of scholarship. And Brother Dowell Flat was raised in the Union Hill Congregation in Jackson County, Tennessee, but taught at Freed Hardeman for many, many years. 
And they wrote this book way back, decades ago, to help folks who were struggling with this issue. Of course, no one counseled more people dealing with same-sex attraction than Dr. Bill Flatt. That's Dow Flatt's brother, also raised in that congregation and a personal friend of mine before he passed just last year. For many years, a member at the Jefferson Avenue Church in Cookville after he retired as the dean of Harding University. And he counseled people both outside of the church, but a lot of people who were inside of the church who struggled with these feelings. And yes, it was preached from our pulpits. I remember reading where Steve Flatt, who followed Brother Ira North and Brother Jimmy at the Madison Church of Christ in Nashville, announced an upcoming sermon on this topic and actually received death threats. And that was back in the 1980s. Even then, tensions were rising. Of course, there have been those who have tried to denounce what the Bible says. There's a Bible scholar by the name of Luke Timothy Johnson, no relation, who taught at Candler School of Theology at Emory University, dedicated his life to studying Scripture, but outspoken in his defense of homosexuality. And to his credit, he didn't try to bend the Scriptures to justify it. He admits that the Bible condemns homosexuality. He candidly states he simply decided to reject what the Scriptures say and instead to rely on his own experience. Here's his words, and I quote, I think it's important to state that we do, in fact, reject the straightforward commands of Scripture and appeal instead to another authority. We appeal explicitly to the weight of our own experience and to the experience of thousands of others. There are those who claim to be ministers, pastors, to use the denominational term, who somehow claim to preach God's Word and yet deny it when it doesn't match with culture. Well, I think this gives you an idea of the importance of the subject. But what does the Bible say? If you were going to study the Bible with someone and they asked you what the Bible taught either about same-sex attraction or about homosexuality, where would you start? Do you have any idea? Some would start in the book of Genesis, right? And I'm not talking about Genesis chapters 1 and 2 where we have the creation of the world and we have the creation of marriage and God says that it's not good for a man to be alone. And so Adam uh, finds that God creates Eve as a helpmate suitable to him. A beautiful passage that is quoted in almost every marriage ceremony. Well, it used to be in the marriage ceremonies we heard growing up. But you know that very quickly the world spiraled into sin. It wasn't long before 
Eve ate of the fruit. It wasn't long before Adam followed suit, and it wasn't long before they were cast out of Eden. And then they left, and they had their two sons, Cain and Abel, and we all remember how that ended with one brother hating and eventually killing the other. And we know that God eventually decided to send a flood. Why? Because man's thoughts were only evil continually all the time. Isn't that what the Bible says? Puts Noah and his family on the ark, wipes the earth clean, and starts over. But because human nature did not change, people's desires and sins didn't either. And so we come upon this difficult story here in Genesis chapter 19 that we commonly refer to as the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. You've read this story. Two angels came to Sodom and they were going to uh, stay there for the evening. And they come to the town square and there was a man by the name of Lot who when he saw them uh, rose to meet them, bowed down before them and invited them to come to his house and stay. This was the ancient practice of hospitality. They didn't have holiday inns. They didn't have a best western. This is what you did when you spent the night. They said, you know, we're okay. We'll spend the night on the square. But I think Lot knew more than they knew. And he said, oh no, that would not be good. Please, I beg you, come to my house. And so they did. And he made them a feast of bread and they ate. But then there was a knock on the door. And both young men and old, the men of Sodom, all the people from every quarter, the Bible says, surrounded the house. And they said to Lot, where are the men who came to your house tonight? Bring them out so that we may know them carnally, the new King James says. Lot said, no, no, that would be wrong. We cannot do that. And in a passage that I can't defend or understand, he said, I have two daughters here, take them instead. They said, no. And they said, you bring them out or we'll treat you worse than we treat them. And the people were about to turn on them and the two angels pulled Lot inside the door and the angels struck the people outside with blindness so they couldn't find it. And those cities were destroyed because of their sin. If we look at the book of Leviticus, we see the Levitical prohibition. Leviticus chapter 18 covers the laws of sexual sins. It says in verse 22, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. That's as clear as day. If you're looking for clarity in a chaotic world, it doesn't get any clearer than that. Leviticus 20, two chapters later, verse 13. says, if a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them shall have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. This was 
not okay. It wasn't winked at. It wasn't tolerated. It wasn't frowned upon. It was 100% immediate judgment and death. A passage you might be less familiar with is in Judges chapter 19, verses 15 through 25. We call this the Gibeah incident. And when you read this passage, you see this same practice. Verse 22 says, Suddenly certain men of the city, perverted men, surrounded the house, beat on the door, said, Bring out the man! And they made the same request that was made at Sodom. The man who answered the door said, No, I beg you, do not do this wickedness. And then we read in passages like 1 Kings 14 and verse 24, that even at the temple, even at the houses of worship, there were male temple prostitutes. People were doing this at the house of worship. I bring this up to demonstrate that since the creation of man, things that were meant for good have been perverted and twisted into evil. For the sake of time, though, let's move quickly to the New Testament. Romans chapter 1. Verses 26 and 27, Paul writes to the church at Rome. He's never been there. He's hoping to go there. This is his introduction to them, even though he knows several people there because he's met them at other places. He talks about the situation where God gives people up to their vile passions, or even their women exchange the natural use for what is against nature, Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men committing with men what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 10, we are told that sodomites, those who practice homosexuality, are doing that which is contrary to, song, to sound doctrine. In the book of Jude, verse 7, uh, it's described as going after strange flesh. And in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10, we have a list of several sins. This is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. And he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. That's what the Bible teaches about the practice of this sin. How do people get around those incontrovertible teachings? That's a good question, isn't it? Well, 
There are some who've tried to turn the relationship between David and Jonathan into an inappropriate, homosexual, same-sex attraction relationship. Saying that Jonathan loved David more than a brother. There are those who have taught that even the apostles engaged in some type of inappropriate relationship which is inconceivable. Simply put, the only way to get there is to twist the scriptures beyond their clear teaching. But if you're here on a Wednesday night, you already know what the Bible teaches on this sin, this practice. What I want us to talk about for the last 10 minutes is what about those who have these thoughts or desires but don't act on them? I think it's very wise and important that the topic given to me was not the Christian and homosexuality, but the Christian and same-sex attraction. You need to understand there's a difference between someone who feels that desire or urge and doesn't act on it versus someone who does. Think about it this way. If you were a kleptomaniac, do you know what a kleptomaniac is? Somebody who has a thrill of stealing things. When I was in college at Lipscomb, there was a prominent preacher who was arrested for stealing things out of the parking lot at the YMCA. This man was very wealthy. He was uh, a preacher at a prominent church, had a beautiful family. He did not need to steal. He found a thrill from stealing Some would say he was born a kleptomaniac. Does that give him the freedom to steal? Or should he curb that desire or passion? What if a man has a natural tendency toward adultery? Should we just say he's born that way? Or should he be expected to curb that desire or appeal and be faithful to his wife? The question tonight is not that of psychological predisposition question is one of morality and of obedience. It's the practice that is the sin. I'm sure we have all had improper thoughts toward a member of the opposite sex, if not a member of the same sex, but you chose not to act on it. You quickly banished that thought from your mind because you knew it wasn't right. I admire those who may have feelings of same-sex attraction, but for the sake of the gospel and for the love of God, they choose not to act on them. Good for them. And by the way, this is not this is not the unforgivable sin. Even if one should choose to practice this sin, 
Is there a place in the church for them if they repent? Absolutely. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, after he states that those who practice this sin will not inherit the kingdom of God, he says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God, meaning there were people in the Corinthian church who had these feelings, who practiced this sin, then were taught differently, gave up that practice, even if they might have still had the same attraction, but they were washed, they were cleansed, and they will be in heaven. And if you're here tonight, and you have those feelings or thoughts or attractions, or maybe you've practiced that sin in the past, I want you to know that you can be forgiven and you can go to heaven. See, the church isn't just a house for perfect people. If it was, I couldn't be here. And most of you couldn't either. But when we understand that we are sinners in need of a Savior, when we understand that I have my sins I struggle with, you have your sins you struggle with, but we try with every fiber of our being to avoid those sins and to follow our Savior, that's what it means to be a Christian. What do Christians do? We don't ignore sin. We speak the truth in love. Our world needs to hear what the Bible teaches on this subject. We have been silent for too long. And that's part of the problem in the world today. One of the people I have admired most in the last 20 years was a young teenage girl named Carrie Prajean. I don't know if you remember her story, but I really respected her. She was in the Miss USA pageant. And she was asked a question by a judge, Perez Hilton, who, by the way, was a professing homosexual and a historical activist and agitator for that cause. And she was asked because it had been in the news recently, what do you think about gay marriage? This is a crown that she had wanted all her life. If you've ever been in the world of pageantry, she and her mama and their family had spent thousands of hours and thousands of dollars to reach this point. And if you watch it or on a rerun, you'll see a brief moment of hesitation but then a strong answer, and she says something like, I don't wish to offend anyone, but I was brought up believing, and still do, that marriage is between one man and one woman. The girl knew the answer that would get her the crown, but she didn't give it. Why? Because she was a Christian. Her grandfather had fought at the Battle of the Bulge in World War II, and he had often told her, I fought for you to have the right to speak your mind. Always speak what you believe. And she thought about it in that moment, and she did. And it cost her the crown. I don't remember if she came in second or third, 
They tried to strip previous wins and other pageants away from her. But they couldn't make the words go away. We need to speak the truth. But we need to do it in love. When we are rude, when we are abusive, when we are ugly or mean to people with same-sex attraction, that is a sin and we need to repent of it. We need to become friends of sinners just like Jesus and confront those who do practice this sin with the compassion of Christ. We need to be merciful. We need to be patient. We need to be forgiving. And we cannot afford to instill the sins of hatred and prejudice in the next generation. But neither can we ignore or tolerate this sin because we've seen what happens in the future. We love the sinner, we hate the sin, but we stay in conversation. You see, if you banish the person and say, get out of here, I never want to see you again, guess what happens? There's no chance to bring them back. But when somebody trusts you enough to say, I'm struggling with this, you need to tell them, I'm so glad you came to talk to me. I'm so glad that you trusted me. Let's talk about this. And you, Christian brother or sister, can be the person to help them process those feelings and find their way to the foot of the cross and ultimately to heaven. Well, I can see our time is up. The kids are going to join us shortly. I've chosen my words carefully tonight because I don't want to misspeak. But I do want you to understand that yes, we need to do address this issue. And if it's addressed in a Bible class or from the pulpit, I hope that you will take it seriously. And I hope you'll talk to your kids and your grandkids and help them understand what God wants what the Bible says and how we should respond. May God bless you. May we as the church shine as a light in this dark world as we hold out the truth of the gospel and the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And may we make a difference in the world. Thank you.